Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Like Mike was just saying, uh, tomorrow is, of course, the first Brewers playoff game. The first pitch is approximately 3.30. You can hear it here on WTMJ. But before that, lots of stuff to hear. A special edition of my program uh, starting at, at 12 noon tomorrow. I will be out at American Family Field. We'll be in our mobile broadcast facility right outside the front. And got a number of guests that are lined up just like we typically do on opening day and then like we did on reopening day when it was finally able to go back to full capacity. You know, we, we have a list of a bunch of special guests still working on finalizing that. But I know I'll be joined by Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre. That'll be fun. Mark Atanasio, the Brewer's principal owner and uh, a cast of thousands so be sure to tune in from noon to three we kind of set the stage for brewers and braves game one of the national league division series playoffs should be a lot of fun and hopefully we'll be able to win bring a a brewers win home so if you're going out to the stadium do me a favor stop off and, and say hi you walk right past our broadcast facility if you're not going out to the game well that that's that's okay too But uh, we'll bring you the game, and we'll bring you all the sounds of the game beforehand. So hope to have you stop by, or be sure to tune in tomorrow on the program. All right, let's get started. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, a number of businesses. Matter of fact, here's the latest one. American Airlines. American Airlines has just said, all right, we're not fooling around anymore. All our employees must be vaccinated. If you want to work for American Airlines, you must be vaccinated. And apparently, while they're still working on the details, they're already sending a message saying, look, we're not going to we're we're not going to allow people to not be vaccinated and um, have have testing every week or something like that. We're we're not going to do it now. The problem that they have, and this is a problem that I have been highlighting for a couple weeks now, the pilots' union estimates that about forty two hundred, which is thirty percent of the airline's pilots, are not vaccinated. Right. Well, if you have flown anywhere recently, you know that air travel is just a mess for a lot of different reasons, including the fact that uh, demand is outstripping supply. By that, I mean a lot of these airlines are wrestling with where are we getting the pilots, you know, where are we getting the ground crews, things like that. And the, the issue that American Airlines faces, and it's a very serious issue, is that if it's in fact true that 30% of the pilots are not vaccinated and have chosen not to get vaccinated, what, what are they going to do? I mean, seriously, what are they going to do? So let's say that, let's say that they say, all right, seriously, you're going to be fired. You're going to, or we're going to continue, we're going to consider it to be a voluntary resignation. So, Let's say that makes maybe half of the unvaccinated pilots say, okay, we don't want to lose our job, so we're going to sign up. That still leaves, I don't know, 15% of their pilots. That would be, you know, 2,100 pilots not vaccinated who would be out of work. And yes, they're out of work, but the airline doesn't have pilots. And I mean, I raise this question because 
I, I understand it, it sounds really good, but what, what's going to happen to American Airlines? How are they going to run the flights? You, you see an, another story like that, New York City schools. They've imposed a mandatory vaccination order that's in place. And I guess the good news is they say that about 95% of all their employees have now gone in and shown proof of of at least one dose, which is great. However, that means 5% of their employees haven't, including 1,800 school safety agents, which are the the people they have in the schools to help keep the schools safe. Story in the Journal Sentinel, 66% of Milwaukee County employees were vaccinated by the October 1st deadline, 66%. And and on the one hand, you say, oh, that's this great number. It's got people vaccinated. On the other hand, that means 34% are not. And we know that you can't find people to work at jobs nowadays. We've talked about that repeatedly. So now you're in a situation where you've got 33, 34%, almost a third of Milwaukee County employees. And, and keep in mind, we, we had to cancel summer events because even before the vaccination requirements, you didn't have enough people to do all the different things that needed to happen. And now we're looking at 34%, almost a third, of the Milwaukee County employees are are not vaccinated by the October 1st deadline. What what is going to happen moving forward? And I understand there's some people who just poo-poo it and say, well, it, it's not a big deal. It's not going to be an issue. Look, I think people should get vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. But at the same time, when you can't find people to do jobs to begin with, what what are you going to, to do, he asks rhetorically, when all of a sudden you find that you have to get rid of People, Kaiser, um, farm, <clears throat> Kaiser Permanente, um, they have 2,200 employees, and it's a big healthcare system. They have 2,200 of their employees who are now on paid administrative leave after not meeting the vaccination order. Now, you might say, okay, what's that big a deal? But there's huge staffing shortages in the healthcare industry, and now you have a major health organization that says, okay, well, we've just We've just let 2,200 of our workers go. There's another story I'm looking at, home health care workers. The estimate is that about a quarter million, 250,000 home health care workers have to get the coronavirus vaccine by Friday. But of those, there are tens of thousands who have just made the decision that they're not going to. So they're looking at being laid off or fired or whatever term you want to do it. Well, okay, which is all well and good, but who's going to do those jobs? You know, who's going to, you know, take care of the people that depend on them? So this this is a huge issue that, that's out there that, again, I think is really, really undercovered as employers try to force vaccinations on their employees, but without really addressing the overriding issue of, okay, what's going to happen when a good percentage of their employees, or even if it's only 5 or 10%, I mean, if, if American Airlines loses 15% of its pilots, let's say, all right, you might say, well, that's only 15%. That means 85% are vaccinated. Yeah, that, that's great. But right now, You've got huge problems with these airlines, and if all of a sudden 15% of the pilots disappear, what's going to happen with that? In addition, there is another loophole to these vaccination rules, which is so large that you could drive a Mack truck through it. When we come back, we're going to discuss whether that loophole needs to be closed. Stick around. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
your Milwaukee Brewers are back in the postseason. After winning the NL Central for the second time in four years, Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre calls Brew October right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can also listen online. You can listen on your phone and on Alexa. It's Brew October on WTMJ, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Trust community bank, and Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. All right, so we're, we're talking about the, these vaccination rules, and I understand I get texts from people saying, oh, this isn't going to be a big deal. You know, it d- doesn't matter if you lose 10 or 15% of the nurses. doesn't matter if you lose 15% of the airline pilots. They, they will, they'll adapt, and to which my response is, okay, we'll, we'll see. I, I'll, I'll save those texts, and I'll save those emails, and we'll see where we are in the real world in a few weeks when the chickens come home to roost. But here's the other interesting thing. There is at least for many of the businesses out there and many of the governmental employers, there is a loophole to the vaccination requirement. And that is what they call the religious exemption. For example, Milwaukee County, the estimates, and I'm looking at the local newspaper, as of last Friday, they um, they apparently 66% have submitted proof of vaccination, which means in the real world numbers, there's about 1,400 county employees who have not done that. Now, included in those numbers, though, it's about 260 employees who sought what were called religious exemptions. In other words, they've said, well, we, you know, our, it is against our religion to get vaccinated. Well, in, in most cases, for most if not all major religions, there's no specific guidance or rule that says you're not supposed to be vaccinated. I mean, it's there's nothing in Catholic teaching. There's nothing in you know Judaism. There's nothing if you're an Episcopalian, if you're a Presbyterian. There's nothing that says that okay, you you can't be vaccinated. So you get into this really sort of gray area. So if somebody says, you know, I I just have a fundamental religious belief. I I don't think that God wants me to get vaccinated. All right. What do employers do? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So if, if somebody, for example, goes to their their rabbi or goes to their minister or goes to some minister and shows up with a letter saying, all right, Jeff has a religious exempt, a, objection to being vaccinated. What is an employer supposed to do? Do you accept that and say, okay, well, you know, here's the person. They've come in. They said they have a religious objection. Do you need to have a clergy member or a regular clergy member write you a letter? Should it simply be enough to go in and say to your manager, I've got a religious objection to this. I want to be exempted from it. And if that is, in fact, the case, is it, it does it does it make any sense? Or should we close the religious exemption? Because like I say, with a couple narrow exemption exceptions, there, there's no major religion, for example, that says that you can't be vaccinated. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And then if you're an employer and you reject that, 
Jeff comes in and says, look, I, I know you've got a mandatory vaccine requirement, vaccination requirement, but I object religious on, on religious grounds. No, I don't have a letter from my minister or anything, but this is just, I think this is my personal reading of the Bible or whatever. This is what it teaches me. What's an employer supposed to do? How do you reject that? I mean, do we, is this, is this a cop out? Or is it something legitimate? And how, in fact, do you enforce it? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. For example, a spokesperson for New York's Roman Catholic bishops says the Vatican has determined that in the absence of ethically irreproachable COVID-19 vaccines, it is morally acceptable, I'm quoting now, to receive the existing COVID-19 vaccines. The spokesman noted that Pope Francis has stated, I believe that morally everyone must take the vaccine. Okay, that's the Pope. So if you are Catholic, does that mean that, that you can't receive a religious exemption and if you're catholic and you work for a particular company so you come in and you say look here i i i object i i don't think god wants me putting vaccination vaccines in my body uh does the employer then say well sorry you know here's what the pope says so we're going to deny your religious exemption and then of course what what happens i mean who gets to make those sort of decisions and if you're going to then follow if you're the employer and you're going to follow everybody who comes in and says i've got a religious objection to this particular vaccine all right is this a loophole large enough to drive a, a truck through let's tar- start with david in milwaukee david good afternoon hi jeff hi david Thank you very much for taking my phone call sure i just want to ask one question to those people who have had the re- religious exemption i know two people who have that religious exemption have you received other vaccines if you tried to get a religious religious exemption for those other vaccines, you get the flu vaccination mm-hmm. every year. Have you gotten other vaccines? Mm-hmm. How did you approach those when you didn't want to do them and you did anyway? Okay, so let, let's... I understand this is new. Yeah. I understand it's new, and there's a lot of other things going on with, you know, with COVID and everything. But that's my... That's just a question for all those people. Okay, so David, let, let's work with that for a second. You are the employer, right? Okay, you're the you are the employer. Somebody comes to you, they want a religious exemption. Your workplace has a mandatory vaccination requirement, and, and you you ask that question, and they say, "No, I, I've gotten the flu shot, and I've gotten the measles vaccination, and things like that, but I consider this one to be different." All right, then what do you do as the employer? Do you fire them? Uh, and this- well, this is where the slippery slope is. Yeah. I also talked to a few other people, and there's, there was a couple of those people that did not receive that exception because that was a question that they asked the employee, yeah. and they refused the, accept, the exemption for the religious part. It is a very slippery slope, and how do you prove it either I, way? No, exactly. No, no, thanks for going to see that. And, and that, and of course, from the employer's perspective, you're, I mean, th- this is, this is a minefield of, 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 of lawsuits because how, I mean, how do you decide if it's me and Mike Spaulding and we both walk in and say we've got religious objections to this? 
I mean, and you decide, okay, well, I think Mike's is a legitimate uh, religious exemption. I don't think Jeff's is. All right. I mean, imagine the employer being in court trying to, like, justify the distinction because you're, you're exactly right. You could say, okay, well, do you have a history of other vaccinations? Yes, I do, but I think this one is different, and there's all sorts of different theories that you could come up with this. I, I guess I, I think – this is going to be one of these situations, and we're not going to know the answer for a while, but I think employers, you know, I, I like the phrase slippery slope, I think employers are opening up Pandora's box when they provide that religious exemption because they're going to be the ones that are going to have to decide what is a valid religious exemption and what isn't. And candidly, the guidelines are really, really unclear. I think we're going to be litigating this if people actually get fired because they've applied for a religious exemption and they haven't gotten it. We are going to be litigating this for years. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I think it would be fair to say that the leading candidate for the Republican nomination for governor right now is former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish. Now, I I know that there's other people, there's a couple other candidates that are out there, maybe more will jump into the race, but I think it's fair to say that based on fundraising thus far, based on organization, based on name recognition, Rebecca Clayfish is the the leading candidate to challenge Tony Evers. doesn't matter, look, I understand that there's a lot of stuff that can happen between now and the primary, but I would say she is the leader at least leaving the clubhouse getting ready to be started and so she's getting a lot of scrutiny and i guess that that's that's appropriate and i think she's going to probably do a good job of standing up to that but one of the things that she is talking about is the out of control crime in milwaukee in particular and so yesterday she's out on the stump and she's calling for Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett to resign following, again, yet another weekend of violence. And, of course, that weekend of violence was low-lighted, as it were, by the killing of an 11-year-old girl and the shooting of her sister. Remember, this was the story where we had the family that's in the car at 9.30 at night, and somebody, as of yet, no arrests, comes up, starts shooting in the car, kills the 11-year-old, and injures the 5-year-old. This is what she says. Milwaukee needs new leadership, and people need it now. Mayor Barrett hasn't done enough to stop out-of-control crime. He has one foot out the door while he waits for Washington to confirm him to his ambassadorship, Wisconsin families continue to pay the price. She added calling for the hiring of more law enforcement officers and the use of state patrol in areas that see high numbers of crimes. A spokesman for Barrett said the mayor, who did not have any comment besides his statement Monday, in which he called for state financial assistance to curb gun violence in the city, which, you know, we talked about, which is kind of like the Seinfeld show, yada, yada, yada. In any event, the woman who wants to be the next governor of Wisconsin is saying, look, it's we're getting no leadership from Tom Barrett on crime in Milwaukee. If he wants to be the ambassador to Luxembourg, that, that's great. And But we don't know when that that's going to come through. But, you know, he, he's got one foot out the door. Crime is out of control. He needs to go now. 
What do you think? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, to underscore the fact that crime is really out of control, I, I follow, and I've, I've told you about this before, the Milwaukee Police Department has a, a crime statistics website where they they post the the number of cr- various categories of crime year to date and also comparing it to like past years as well for example this year their homicide number is essentially the same as last 143 this year to 144 at the same time last year that i think that's wrong though i don't think that's been updated for a couple days cuz i think we're actually over 150 homicides in the city of Milwaukee rape numbers up and of course last year was like a record year almost all across the board for crime rape numbers are up robbery numbers are up Aggravated assault numbers are up. Uh, let's see, theft larceny numbers up. And as we talk about frequently, the the number of car thefts that's up dramatically. Um, eight. This is this is just a staggering number to me. Eight thousand one hundred and two car thefts, according in in the city of Milwaukee. The city of Milwaukee. That's almost thirty cars stolen a day. That compares to. 2,900 last year. So it it's not quite three times as many, but it's close to three times as many. So it, it's clear crime is out of control. When we look at the homicide numbers, as I frequently say, that's not necessarily the best indicator. What you really want to do is you want to look at, at shootings, because anytime somebody's shot, that could, in fact, turn into a homicide, but for the grace of God, the, the shooting numbers are, are up as well. So there's no question, 2020, an incredibly violent year, a record-setting violent year. 2021, we are on pace to match and or exceed that. In fairness, Milwaukee is not different from other urban areas that have seen this huge spike as well. All right, is it fair to... Is it fair to saddle the mayor with this, or is it more complicated than that? Is it time, if Tom Barrett wants to be the ambassador to Luxembourg, and believe me, I've never been to Luxembourg, but I've been to several of the countries around it. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty good gig, great way to ease into retirement. But given the fact that Milwaukee, I said this the other day, I stand by it, Milwaukee is not the wild, wild west. Because the Wild Wild West didn't have 11-year-old kids being shot on a regular basis. I think you can make an argument that crime in Milwaukee is worse than the Wild Wild West. Is it time for new leadership? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, Jeff, just like you, the crime statistics are painful. Uh, that being said, I really wonder how much control a mayor, any mayor, be it Rebecca Clayfish, Cavalier Johnson, or Jeff Wagner, has over, over crime. Uh, Milwaukee is limited by the state, rightly or wrongly, by uh, tax levy limits. And despite the Republicans' call for local control, the Republican uh, legislature refuses to allow city of Milwaukee residents to vote on a sales tax increase. Okay, well, 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 tell me. Okay, tell me how the how the sales tax increase is going to affect crime. Well, it, it may or may not. Uh, supposedly, the sales tax increase is going to be used to hire more police okay. 
And if you believe if you believe some people having more police on the streets is going to reduce crime, I, I'm not sure if I agree with that necessarily. That was going to be my, my next but, question, Dennis. <laughs> That's going to be my next question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think Rebecca Clayfish would be better advised. I know you've addressed this on your program. She'd be better advised to call for the resignation of judges and court commissioners who impose low bail mm-hmm. and re- release uh, uh, people who commit crimes without uh, much uh, much penalty. Dennis, when it comes to crime in an urban area, let, let's, let's take Tom Barrett out of the equation. Let's talk about any big city urban mayor that's looking at what I think you and I would both agree is just an absolute explosion of criminal behavior. Are they potted plants? I mean, is it fair to say, well, okay, we, you know, there, there's, it's, it's too big a problem. It's beyond the control of, of a mayor. It's not fair to hold a mayor responsible for crime in a city. Well, <laughs> as, as Harry Truman said, the, the, the buck stops yeah. here. So, you know, the mayor has to accept responsibility. But really, I, I don't know. Do you, you think the mayor could do something? I mean, he's, he's hamstrung financially. Well, I will uh, see. I'm not sure I agree. Social conditions. Yeah, I mean, Dennis. I see. I think I'm. I'm not sure I agree that the mayor is hamstrung as as much financially as you would would suggest. Because there's different decisions. I mean, keep in mind. I mean, the, the mayor, Mayor Barrett's his fallback position for years and years has been to blame the state, not just financially, but we need more gun laws and stuff. And this is a challenge that I've been making for a long time. It's like, okay, you know, whenever I hear Tom Barrett talk about he wants more gun laws, like, explain to me what those gun laws are. Last time I looked around, it's illegal to shoot an 11-year-old girl. I mean, it's illegal to murder kids. And and I, I seriously wonder about that. And I've always thought that's just kind of punting the problem. Now, I agree that whether it's a member of the Common Council or whether it's the mayor, they're not not the ones that are driving 95 miles an hour blowing through the red lights. They're not the ones that are shooting up the city. But at the same time, I, I just think trying to pass the buck and say, oh, well, we just don't have enough money to deal with it. That's that's a cop out in the extreme, because like you said, the buck does stop there. Now, my big beef with with Tom Barrett has been the fact that I, I think he's just been punched out on this crime issue for the longest time. And again, he's got his fallback talking points and say it's not our fault. To what you were saying, which is what I've been saying for the longest time, you know, where is Barrett using his bully pulpit and saying, look, let's let's understand what a large part of this problem is. We've got recidivist criminals who are out on the streets, who are out on low bails or no bails or have been released from prison way too soon. And they're out there committing crimes. And you have judges who are putting them back out on the streets again. Wouldn't it be interesting if the mayor had a press conference and had a whole list of, let's say, I don't know, the people who've been charged with, uh, I don't know, the last 50 murders in the city of Milwaukee. And we went through and we, here's here's what their record is. And this is the person was out on bail. And this person was out after serving six months for this. Wouldn't it be interesting if the mayor, for example, came out, uh, let's, let's talk about car theft. And I, I know I'm a broken record on this, but it's just staggering to me. Staggering. You have 30 cars a day stolen in the city of Milwaukee. And, and the, the response that we get from politicians and the mayor is okay let's let's criticize a couple car manufacturers because their cars are too easy to steal now that maybe that that's a fair point but that's that's like 
you know, that the Titanic is sinking because it hits an iceberg, you know, and somebody's worried about, gee, I, I didn't get my martinis. I mean, y- yes, is it a fair comment? It is. But the underlying problem is that you've got this criminal element that is out there stealing cars right and left. And that's the people that you have to address. I would love to have the mayor come out and start calling out names and saying, look, here's the deal. We've got these juveniles, and this is the problem. We've got these juveniles. This is the eighth car that this juvenile has stolen, and he's always just been returned to his parents. And that's what I would like to see. If you're going to use the bully pulpit, you know, use it to really make a difference instead of saying, well, I want some more money from the state of Wisconsin. You know, and, and like, look, I, I get it. I'm not even sure to tell you the truth that if, if we had a sales tax in the city of Milwaukee, and I'm, I believe in local control, I think Milwaukee should be able to, to vote on that, but I'm not sure there's any commitment at all among the members of the Common Council and the Mayor's Office to seriously use that to materially increase the police department. Matter of fact, to the contrary, if you look at a lot of stuff, there's groups in the city of Milwaukee who are saying, we need to defund the police. We, we need, we're given, we're putting too much money into police resources, where, you know, one way or the other, you can add more cops but at the same time if if you're if the cops catch the people and you're not going to have those people penalized if they're just going to be sent back out on the streets to continue to commit crimes having more cops doesn't make a difference now i'm not against having more cops i'm not but i would like to have an honest conversation coming from elected officials in the city of milwaukee more so than just every time and it seems like it's already two or three days you know another press conference at the scene of some horrific shooting where everybody expresses that they're they're appalled without going you know behind the scenes and saying okay why is this and again maybe i'm going to be completely wrong about the shooting of this 11 year old maybe it will turn out to be somebody who had no criminal record at all no contact with law enforcement who just simply woke up one morning and decided okay today's the day i'm going to go out and shoot up some car with a couple kids in it maybe that's going to be the case but you and i both know that the odds of that happening are slim to none and slim is on a bus out of town rick on the northwest side rick you're on wtmj yes good afternoon jeff Hi, rick. For taking my car sure. uh, call. yeah uh, yeah jeff um milwaukee Milwaukee is a ship without a rudder right now with with uh, Barrett in office. Um, I I have never been so disappointed in a mayor as I have been with Mayor Barrett. Um, uh, I have reached out to him numerous times only to be ignored. Uh, That's how I feel. I'm being ignored, just like reaching out to Asante Hamilton, our alderman. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, the, The best thing that could happen to the city of Milwaukee right now, and this is just in my own opinion, is for him to go to Luxembourg. Yeah. Don't let that mayor's office door <laughs> hit you in the ass on the way out. <laughs> thanks for the call. Um, well, oh, Rick, yeah, I, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, look, I... I I, I look, and I, I understand, and that's why I, I try to be fair with this. I know some people think I'm not, but I try to be fair with this. The, crime is out of control in a lot of urban areas, and it is a complex sort of issue as to how you deal with it. But I do think, I mean, I, I think Tom Barrett has been punched out on this issue for for a number of years, and I, I think, you know, given the the epidemic nature of this, you need new leadership. Now, I will tell you what worries me about new leadership is that you might have people that come in who completely go, you know, to this other, okay, we might get a mayor who he or she decides that they want to, you know, figuratively speaking, jump in bed with the defund the police crowd. And, you know, we, we need, we need less law enforcement and we need more, we need more of the touchy feely stuff. And we're incarcerating too many of this type of person or that type of person when the truth 
truth is we're not incarcerating anywhere near enough to deter the criminal behavior. So you, you always have to be careful. But I, I do think, I, I do think now, now should Tom Barrett resign? No. But the sooner I think we move on from where we are, the better I think it's going to be because candidly, right now, whether it's coming from the mayor's office, whether it's coming from the common council, or whether it's coming from lots of community leaders, whatever they're doing isn't working. And I think we can all agree on that. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Mike Spaulding, last night, did you happen to watch the baseball game, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals? Yes, I did. You did? Wasn't that a great game? Um, from someone who wouldn't be from St. Louis, yeah, it was awesome. Well, I mean, right, yes, it, I, no, right, I understand. For, you know, to me, th- this is one of the beauties. See, I'm a traditionalist, okay? And so with the expanded playoffs and stuff, I remember, I, I still don't like the designated hitter. Okay, but, but I'm a traditionalist, but... It used to be that you had one wild card team, and so the team with the best record in the National League or the American League would automatically advance to the best of five series, like the Brewers and, and the Braves are going to start tomorrow. But you know, a couple of years ago, they added a an additional wild card team. So the two teams who don't win their divisions but still have the the best records, they they go and they play. And I, I will tell you something. I, I'm critical of the lords of baseball about a lot of decisions they make, but I think that that wild card thing has been great first of all it it keeps interest at the end of the year you know and secondly you know what great baseball that game yesterday you know three to one for people who didn't follow the dodgers win on a walk-off two-run home run in the bottom of the ninth inning but i mean if you're a baseball fan apart from again like you were saying a st louis cardinal fan how cool was that great game yeah it was uh it was awesome and as a cardinals fan um it was great because they went on that great winning streak and that without last night's game would essentially have meant nothing because they would not have made it into the playoffs at all. So I was happy with that. On the flip side, though, I would have issue if I was a Dodgers fan and they would have lost last night, only because I would be sitting here today saying the team won 106 games games, and we're out in one. So I would have a problem with that, but I agree. It it kept interest and it made the November run by the, or sorry, September run by the Cardinals all that more exciting. So the alternative would be to not have that second team and just have the wild card team, the the leading, the the, the team that doesn't win the division but has the best record, they just automatically go in? I wouldn't mind if they added like another team to at least be able to make it maybe a series or something along those lines, like a wild card round almost like what the nfl has yeah i like or- <laughs> that. I, no no, no I, I understand i guess you know but no i, I like i like that one game playoff and it's just it, it's kind of like see that's the beauty of the ncaa basketball tournament that i i i firmly believe that over over a series the better team wins it doesn't always happen because you can have somebody that gets mm-hmm. hot or somebody gets hurt but i i think most of the times in a certainly best four out of seven series, the better team we're, we're going to win. You, yeah. you might have one that one-off game or, or whatever. But it, but the beauty of the NCAA basketball tournament, for example, is that you, you just never know. It, it can be... 
you know, Jeff Wagner comes off the bench. He's a third string guy because somebody twists his ankle, and you have that one game where Absolutely. everything you, you show up, wins, and and you you beat it. it. This is this is kind of what that was. It's like one game on the line. You're you're right. If the Dodgers would have lost, you could argue it's not fair. But Cardinals fans would have said, "Hey, we won 17 games in a row. We're the hottest team going in. We're the ones that, that should have won." Yeah, for all the for all the uh, issues people have with pitchers taking time between pitches and stuff like that during the regular season, you forget when you watch play baseball how much tension there is oh, right. in that you know it's like a really good movie or like a really good song and you're just waiting for the moment right and i like that we got the one game it really ratchets up the uh yeah. the uh, the pressure before we get some brewers games sorry um yeah no I, and i you're, you're exactly right and i i am one of those guys who as a partial season ticket holder we've, we've got the 20 game package and i probably go to a few more games than that I'm one of those guys who complains about on the average Wednesday night when the game takes, you know, three and a half or four hours to play. I think it's, it's, and a lot of that is exactly what you're talking about. It's pitchers like standing around, you know, you, you, um, yeah, and it's kind of throw the ball for goodness sake. And, and it's, it's just so much dead time. And as a result, people's attention spans wander. Mm-hmm. And I understand there's traditionalists who love it, but I'm just watching people, you know, who brought their kids there and they're leaving in the fifth inning because it's 10 o'clock at night and they got to go to work or, or whatever. And I think it, it, that slowness hurts the game. But that's, that's the Wednesday night in, you know, June or July mm-hmm. or August. That's not the playoffs. The, the playoffs where you do have that tension that's building all the time. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and no other sport really, maybe playoff hockey overtime has that kind of feeling, but no other sport really brings it to you. You know, the, there's enough stuff going on. Basketball, you certainly don't get that many slowdowns. The NFL, there's a lot of stuff going on outside of the, you know, they're showing replays constantly and stuff like that. Baseball really is the only one where you sit not only for a breath, but five breaths and when your team is playing you're like on the edge of your seat that entire time it is unique and they own that and i respect that but i'm with you july don't love it but well right again and it's just kind of like and it's i mean i'm a i'm a baseball fan i i love it but you're sitting there and you're in your seat and you're going my gosh it's the sixth inning and it's been here three hours and my i i've told the story before but we were um i was in las vegas a few years ago and i'm i'm sitting watching a college football game some Saturday afternoon. And I'm talking to a couple people from Europe and they were just, their minds were blown because, you know, everybody in America makes fun of soccer games. Oh, nothing happens and stuff. But soccer, they're saying, okay, the soccer game, it's two 45 minute halves where the clock runs continuously. And there might be a couple minutes of injury time at the end of each half, but you got a 15 minute half, you got two 45 minute half. You're, you're done in around two hours and 10 minutes. I mean, so, and you, so you can plan your day, you know that, and you're saying, all you Americans think soccer is boring. And, and here you, you sit and watch the college football game that takes three and a half or four mm-hmm. hours. <laughs> it's, I didn't know how, how to respond to that. I, I don't know if I told you, I had a friend, um, who was a, uh, study abroad student from Brazil. And when we watched football, he was just, his mind was, confused as to why we think football is the most American football is the most exciting sport because he's like you there's, there's a lot like of standing around or six seconds yeah. of a play and then you stand around and you watch a replay four or five different times you just you know so it, no there is a lot of standing around there's, yeah. there's just no question about it and I, I but I thought that was interesting and I I appreciate soccer for how difficult it is I all the all the sports are different but um I guess as I get older my attention span starts to wander as Same. well but that's it Bottom line is, don't care how long the game takes tomorrow or Saturday. Go Brewers. Let's get a couple wins. Hey, when we come back, I want to go where angels fear to tread. We rarely talk about the issue of abortion on this program, but we're going we're going to open that door. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Annex Wealth Management is a proud sponsor of Brew October. It's time to know the difference. If you're ready to put things in order, so are they. Annex Wealth Management provides investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning as a local independent partner. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click on the Get Started button. All right. Um, I have been doing a radio show in this market for more than 26 years, full or part-time. And early on in, in my career... I made the decision that I was not going to talk about, as a general rule, issues related to abortion. And, and, and here's why. It's, I, I've always believed that there, there's not – a lot of times when you discuss issues, there's not necessarily a right or a wrong. There, there's a better or a worse. And I, I like to discuss things, and I advance my point. Maybe you agree with me or disagree with me. But, you know, it, it's, it's things that reasonable people can agree to disagree on and things like that. The, the issue of abortion is, is different in the fact that, as a general rule, I, I find that there's no middle ground. There are, are people who believe that abortion is murder and that it should not be allowed in any situation. And there's people who believe that it, it's the woman's right to make this choice. And, you know, and, until the baby is essentially born, you know, they should have the right to decide, you know, it's their body, my body, my choice, you know, and, and, and I'm oversimplifying it. I admit it, but there's, there's just very, very little common ground that you can find. People feel strongly one way or the other. And if you have a conversation, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to bring them around. And and how you feel about this issue is related maybe to your gender in some cases. It's related to your, your personal moral views, maybe your religious views, maybe your experience, maybe the experience of friends. It's just something that you, you you can never find common ground on. And so when I started out my career as a talk show host, we, we talk about it a little bit, but I always get frustrated with the conversations because you, you're not going to change any minds. And, and people were just so dug in on the, these issues that it was like I always kind of felt that we were spinning our wheels. And so that is why – with a few exceptions, you know, sometimes when there's been new laws or whatever, I, I've steered away for from the discussion of abortion on this program. Well, we're going to change that today because there, there's something really interesting going on. The, the abortion battle is back in the news in a big way. Now, if you haven't been following the story, here's what happened. I mean, right now, Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. And essentially, Roe versus Wade says the government, you know, can't, with it, with certain exceptions, as a general rule, government can't limit the right of a woman to seek an abortion. Well, in Texas, they passed a law not that long ago, which is designed to kind of get around Roe versus Wade. Wade, the the law says that okay, um, the state, the, the state doesn't really have a role in barring women from getting abortions, but private parties, individuals, can sue anyone who successfully, um, anyone who performs an abortion or aids in the abortion, any citizen can come in and sue, the doctor, the nurse, whatever, and the amount you can sue for is $10,000. So the idea is that it's not, without getting too far in the weeds on the legal issues, the idea is that it, it's not the state that's stopping this. It's private parties who are, are suing. And essentially, the Texas law makes it, it makes you civilly liable 
if you perform an abortion um, from for any time there is a detectable, detectable embryonic heartbeat, cardiac activity, which typically is around six weeks. Right now, as a general rule, many people who provide abortions, many of the abortion providers, they'll go to eighteen weeks at least. Um, so this is is six weeks. So, and in many cases, you know, women don't necessarily even know that, that they're pregnant, you know, at, at the six weeks. So by the time they, they really find out and figure out that they're pregnant, there, there's already the embryonic, embryonic heartbeat, cardiac heartbeat. So it's a situation where they, they, they can't get, they can't make that decision. And, and that's the simplest way I can describe it. In Texas, since this law went into effect, a number of the places that perform abortions have essentially shut down. And so what's happened is you have, you know, women who have ended up leaving Texas and traveling to other states where th- this law is in effect to end up having, you know, th- they're having an abortion. And so there's a lawsuit that's now been filed saying, hey, look, this law is illegal. And Joe Biden's Justice Department has jumped in on the side of those who think the law is illegal. And yesterday you had a federal judge that put an injunction on the Texas law saying, look, I think this is the law is unconstitutional. I think it violates Roe versus Wade, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to prohibit this from being enforced, at least while the injunction's in place. So it's an open question about what a court of appeals is going to do with this. It's an even more open question as to what the newly constituted U.S. Supreme Court is going to do and whether or not they're going to use this law as an opportunity to do what I think some think some of the justices would have loved to have done for years, which is to invalidate Roe versus Wade altogether, which would go back to making uh, abortions at least a, a state law matter. All right. I am curious, and this is an honest to goodness point. I am curious as to where the public is on this issue. I think for, for many people, the, the issue of abortion, it was a hot-button issue for the longest period of time, and then it kind of settled into the, the, the back burner in, in many respects, I think for a lot of people. This Texas law, the fact that some other states might adopt similar laws, and the fact that now th- there are cases that might end up in the U.S. Supreme Court getting people to, you know, will the court rethink the whole idea of Roe versus Wade? I thought this was an interesting time to take your temperature on on this issue. Is it time to one shape, way, shape, or form or another? Is it time to outlaw abortion in this country again? Can we put that genie back in the bottle after all these years? Eight five. Should we put that genie back in the bottle after all these years? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what should happen to Roe versus Wade? We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Not surprisingly, interesting text all over the map. Jeff, I think each state should be allowed to vote separately on the issue of abortion, which is if Roe versus Wade were overturned, <clears throat> presumably what what would happen? Jeff, keep it the way it is. Do not overturn Roe versus Wade. You'll have women going to black market doctors to get these procedures done with no oversight. If people who are anti-vax can say, my body, my choice, then they should be able to relate to a woman's um, right to 
choose. Um, okay, Jeff, I personally don't think I would have ever been able to get an abortion for me, but I truly believe that the decision should be left up to the woman and if a man is involved between themselves. It's not my business. It certainly isn't the government's business. Um, Jeff, people shouldn't have special rights to other people's bodies. When we ban abortion, we are granting special rights to the fetus to use someone else's body without their consent. Huh. Um, interesting. Jeff, uphold it. Overturning it does nothing except to ensure that women are forced underground to seek this procedure out. That's from Karen in South Milwaukee. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's th- this is one of these these things. And again, it's, it's just clear I'm getting a ton of text on this. It's clear that, that you're not going to be able to reach a, an accommodation. I think people are never going to be able to agree on this. I I still do not believe that the Supreme Court is in a position where they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. I don't think that's going to happen. These laws, though, that are specifically crafted as a way to make abortions dramatically more difficult and yet still stay within the parameters of Roe versus Wade, that's a much closer call. And I would say I think it's about 50-50 as to whether the U.S. Supreme Court, when the case gets there, upholds these Texas laws. And if they uphold the Texas law, then I think you're going to see a number of other states which adopt the same laws. Now, that's not going to outlaw abortion in this country, but it is going to mean that you're going to have people seeking abortions after six weeks who are going to have to travel to different states to get them. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Kohler Services. This is really cool. It's a new division at the Kohler Company. Give them a call, 262-357-3300, or visit KohlerServicesWI.com to see all they have to offer. From inspiration to installation, reimagine your bathing experience and contact Kohler Services for a free design consultation. For all of us who might want new showers and especially the shower heads that really work great, this is the place to go. All right. During the uh, 2 o'clock hour of yesterday's show, we had a chance to talk to the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. And we talked about a variety of issues, including um, the, the debt ceiling and the $3.5 trillion human infrastructure bill and the $1 trillion infrastructure bill. And we talked about vaccines and a wide variety of things. And as as we do when I have the opportunity to talk to Senator Johnson, I always Ask him, hey, are you any closer to making a decision as to whether you're going to run for reelection or, or not? And he always gives me the same answer, which is, ah, I've got plenty of time to do it. Now, if you're a regular listener's program, you know that, that that's the answer he gives. I, I just I don't necessarily think he's doing people a service by doing that, because if he decides not to run, um, yeah, you're, you're going to you hamstrung hamstring other candidates who are going to need to build organizations and to raise money, especially since on the Democratic side, you've already got, my God, it seems like there's like a dozen people that are running. I'd have to actually count the numbers. But some of them, including Alex Lazary, who is the son of the Bucks owner, he, he's got just a, a ton of wealth and he's he's already started to run ads. So the, the campaign for U.S. Senate has already started. Plus, 
if you're like me, almost every time you turn on the television, depending on what show you're watching, you'll see one of these attack ads that are being run against Ron Johnson for a variety of issues. You know, Ron Johnson is a two-term sitting U.S. senator. He was elected um, in 2016, uh, 2010, first of all, a surprise when he defeated incumbent Senator uh, Russ Feingold. 2016, ran again. Everybody thought that he, well, almost everybody, thought that he was going to lose the fine gold, when, and, and he ended up winning on both occasions. Matter of fact, um, Ron Johnson, one of the indications I can remember, I mean, I remember election, I remember election night 2016, and one of the indications that I had that Donald Trump was going to be elected president was the fact that, that Ron Johnson was, was winning Wisconsin, and Donald Trump ended up winning Wisconsin, but Ron Johnson outperformed Trump. And when I saw these Johnson numbers coming in, it told me, hey, I, you know, this, this is for real, and there's kind of a Republican wave that is developing. Well, okay, that was six years ago. So it, it's now, he's been in office 12 years. He has been a lightning rod for various controversies. When Ron Johnson ran in 2010, it was, on challenges to Obamacare, and he had some of the greatest, in my opinion, you know, TV commercials for politicians that I'd ever seen. Remember, he'd be up there with the whiteboard, and he'd go through the, you know, the, the list of okay, the U.S. Senate has X number of lawyers, and they've got X number of professional politicians, and they've got like no business owners or whatever those numbers were, and he'd do those calculations. I thought it was a great and compelling advertisement. Well, okay, that was 12 years ago. Over particularly the last couple years. Senator Johnson has found himself at the forefront of a, a number of controversies, including uh, including various issues related to, to COVID and the election and things like that. He has, at least it seems to me, taking it, taken a, a much more profound – he was always a conservative, but he's taken a much more profoundly – I don't know if you want to say conservative or, or a, a certainly – a, a pro-Donald Trump sort of view of things, closely aligning himself to the former president. Well, anyhow, Ron Johnson now is in a position where at some point in time he's going to have to announce whether he's running again. My personal opinion, and this is just my opinion, I have not heard this from the senator, my personal opinion is I think he's in. I, I mean, I just, I, I don't think that you'd be doing some of the things he's doing if you weren't in the race. But that's just my personal opinion, and... I am surprised from time to time about things that happen in politics. But I want to carve out a section of the program now because I, we don't talk about politics for three hours a day, five days a week. But it, it is there's a horse race element to politics that you find interesting. Who's in? Who's out? And clearly, if Senator Johnson is running for a third term, that's one dynamic and it's a different dynamic if he decides that he's going to step down, go back to Oshkosh, and then clear the field, and some new Republican challenger is going to you know, emerge. But here is my question. Should Ron Johnson run again? And if he runs again, do you believe he will win? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So it's a two-part question. Should he run? And if he runs Will he win? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My, my initial reaction and answer to that question is, as, as I've been saying for several months, I, I think he needs to announce one way or the other what he's doing because I do believe he's doing a disservice one way or the other. I think he's if, – if he 
wants to run again, he needs to say so, and he needs to start running because he's clearly got a target on his back. And, and no, I don't think a year before the election, and that's we're coming up on a year before the election, I don't think that's too soon to run. But if you were part of the senator's kitchen cabinet, you were giving advice, should he run? And if he runs, would he win? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Hey, coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program, guns, restaurants, and the crusher. I'm looking forward to that hour. Right now we're talking about Ron Johnson, who was a guest on the program yesterday. If you were advising the senator, should he run? And if he does decide to run, you know, do you think he would win? 855-616-1620. I think as a starting point, he, he needs to announce. Now, I personally, and this is just my personal opinion, I believe he is running. But I have no inside knowledge, and that's the honest-to-goodness truth. I just think that he he's running everything about the way he's conducting business tells me that, that he's running for a third term. All right, is he running? Should he run? Could he win? Let's start with Mike. In, oops, wrong button. Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Um, I don't think – I really don't think he's going to make it because uh, I, I, you know, I, used to really, I, I really did like him a lot, to be honest with you. But when he started this sort of stuff with that voter fraud, you know, and stuff like that, you know, that it just made him it just made him look stupid. I got to be honest with you. I really I, I really, really believe that. And I think no matter what he does, he's not going to make it in there. Though. I really, really don't. Did you vote you for know? him in 2010 and in 2016? Uh, yes. OK, so I you, he, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, I thought that, you know, I thought he was, you know, he was pretty good, you know, and then. And then all of a sudden, and they did this area. Look, I don't know what the heck happened. If you know, uh, he was on the apron strings of uh, of Trump, or I don't know what you know. I don't know what the heck was going on there, but it just it just made him look really bad. Got it. Really okay. Did. Thanks for calling, Mike. I appreciate it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, uh, I, I like you. I believe um, he's running, and I think because. It's an off election, you know. It's not a presidential election. I I think he'll win because I don't think the um, there'll be a an urge for the Democratic voters to get out there. But I I think he'll win. I I almost think the way he's been acting, he's posturing himself like to try to get a vice presidential uh, hmm. nod to when they run next time. I mean, where he's so close to Trump. Yeah. But I do, mean, I, I do you think that, that do you I, think, I think the ties to Trump? hurt him or help him in Wisconsin in 2022? I, I don't, I don't think they're that relevant now. I mm-hmm. mean, but Trump has a very, um, very loyal base. Yes. And I think because he has that loyal base, those people are going to want to get out there and vote. So yes. I guess I'll correct myself and say, I think it hurts or helps him rather, because I, I don't think the turnout's going to be anything like it was, in the last election, so I think uh, ties to Trump will help him. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Well, it's sort of, it's sort of an interesting dynamic because I I believe, and I, I've I've argued this point that I, I believe Tony Evers is the governor over Scott Walker, not because of Tony Evers or not because of Scott Walker. I, I thought I think what happened is, and that was an off year election too. You had um, voters, particularly liberal voters in, in Dane County who just had this visceral reaction to Trump and turned out and used that as an opportunity to, quote-unquote, send a message to then-President Trump, 
by voting out Scott Walker. So that's why I've argued for the longest time that I think, you know, Tony Evers' governorship is an accident of electoral history. Now, it's a different time now, and it's, we're getting fascinating texts, people all over the map. Here, Here is the thing, and it's one of the reasons why I believe it is important for Senator Johnson to make that decision. Like I said, I think he has. But it's one of the reasons I think he needs to jump in with both feet. Because here, here's the bottom line. He is not an unknown. And the, the there's a ton of money out there. I've talked about this before. Uh, the U.S. Senate, keep in mind, it's 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans right now. And so it, it's there, there's a razor-thin margin. A lot of the smart people say that they think that the Republicans, based on history of midterms, as the power party out of power, and looking at some of the people who are up for election and re-election, they think that the Republicans have a very good chance of retaking the Senate. But it's going to be close, probably, one way or the other. And we don't exactly know for sure. But, I mean, what's happening right now is, if you look at Joe Biden's approval ratings, they're, he, he's struggling. You know, he's had problems with the COVID issue after... You know, rosy start. He's had problems with Afghanistan. He's got the issues at the border. You've got the the whole economy thing. And and right now people are hamstrung over this massive government spending program. So but but that can all change. I mean, stuff can turn on a dime. But the thing that's out there now is you've got a lot of people who are trying to define Ron Johnson. And as I have said before, he has given them ammunition for reasons that I, I do not for the life of me understand. And I've argued this before. He's picked certain fights that I, I don't get. I, I mean, he, he's picked fights about, you know, the you know questioning, I mean, aspects of the insurrection on January 6th. And I there, there's just been certain things. And I'm going, gosh, why, why would you why would you open this door? What, what gain do you have? I mean, some of the stuff with regard to alternative treatments with regard to covid. OK, well, I, I, I understand if he thinks that the mainstream media and for example, the Biden administration hasn't been completely forthcoming with the way they've dismissed some of the alternative treatments and things like that. And and I understand it, but you know, it's it's been something that's defined and labeled Senator Johnson. And I, I don't see the gain of I don't see what you get out of, of some of the battles. If you're a politician, you you've got to pick and choose your fights. And I don't understand some of the battles that he's chosen. Because I think some of those battles have driven away, and I, I could read you from dozens and dozens of texts I have, have driven away people who supported him four, six years ago or supported him 12 years ago or supported him for the last 12 years who are going, gosh, you know, why, why did we pick this particular fight? We think he's a fiscal conservative. We appreciate all this stuff. But there's all this collateral stuff that's out there that we don't understand why he's gone down that rabbit hole. And, and I understand where that is coming from, which is why. I think if he runs again, and like I say, I believe he runs again, it's time to get in right away because you can't allow your opponents to define you. Now, the people that are running against him, and I don't, I don't, I don't know who the leader in the clubhouse is. I don't know if it's Mandela Barnes, the lieutenant governor. I don't know if it's Alex Lazary, who's got, you know, just a ton of, you know, family money behind him. And, and a lot of the, the East and West Coast, you know, political liberal elites are going to be pouring money in. You've got the, the state treasurer who's, you know, running and, you know, she's going to have the Emily list supporters. And they're all very, very far to the left. I mean, extremely far to the left. And that's one of the reasons that I, I think it's important 
for Republicans and for the senator to start, if he's running again, or for whoever else the next candidate is, to get in and start defining those people who are running against you. Because I really believe, and I understand Tammy Baldwin is the U.S. senator but I, from Wisconsin, along with Ron Johnson, and there are polar opposites politically, but I really do believe that we are... We are a, a centrist, a centrist state. You know, maybe we lean a little bit right, maybe we lean a tad left, but I don't think the state of Wisconsin is is where most of the people running as Democrats for the U.S. Senate are. But the problem that was, Republicans are going to have is defining that. If you allow the race to be about, gee, do you think Ron Johnson was out of line when he said what he said about January 6th? Or do you think the obsession with, you know, whether or not, I don't know, um, ivermectin is a, is a valid, you know, treatment for COVID? If you let the debate be about that, as opposed to, okay, what's the overall philosophy of the people running on the other side? Well, then, the Republicans lose. I, I think that's very clear. So you have to define the other candidates, but you need people who are running to end up doing that. And, and that's why I think a decision, you know, it, it needs to be made. I think he's running. Do I think he has a chance to win? Yeah. Is it going to be close? Yeah, it's been close for the last couple times because our callers were absolutely correct. Ron Johnson has a very, very solid base of support. But what he's got to do is he's got to win back, I think, some of the voters that were turned off by some of the position he's taken on issues. How do you do that? Well, you do it by defining who your opposition is. You define it, do it by saying, okay, look, you know, if if I'm not there and the Democrats have control of the U.S. Senate, do you see some of the crazy things that these people are talking about doing? Do you understand what that would mean if Mandela Barnes was the U.S. Senator or Alex Lazary was the U.S. Senator or any of the these other lists of people were the U.S. Senator. Do you understand that what that would mean for, you know, the, the country in general and Wisconsin in particular? But you need to get out and start defining that as opposed to constantly playing defense about, well, yeah, you said this about January 6th or whatever. There, there's time, but the more time that goes by without Ron Johnson announces a candidate and out there aggressively defining his would-be opponents. The longer that goes on, the more difficult, I think, re-election becomes. Coming up in the next hour, like I promised, restaurants, guns, and the crusher. Not sure what order we're going to do them. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. I am curious to take your temperature on a particular issue. Over... Over the course of the last, well, year, year and a half, it's been a tough time for the restaurant industry. You had, for example, Tony Evers that essentially closed down restaurants to interior for inside dining for the longest period of time. And then, you know, when restaurants were able to reopen, there were capacity limitations and there were all these different rules that were in place with masks and all those sorts of things. And and we're, we're coming out of that. And I know the restaurant industry, many restaurants are doing extremely well. The biggest problem that that I hear when I talk to restaurant owners, and I know several of them, is is the same problem that lots of business owners have. They say they can't get 
They can't get help. That, that's it. We, you know, we, we can't, we can't find servers. We can't find people that want to work busting tables. We, you know, we have trouble keeping cooks and things of the like. But the, the general feeling is, at least that I hear, is we have no problems and no, no trouble have, having patrons. I mean, the business is there. The big problem is finding enough people to cook the food. And, and that's why a number of, of restaurants, they're, they had to cut back their hours. They're, I was at a restaurant on Saturday night. I was looking at the menu, and the menu said, they used to be open Sunday nights. And it says on the menu, it says, well, we're open for Sunday brunch, but you know, until we can figure out a way to get more people, I'm paraphrasing, but not much, you know, we're, we're going to be closed on Sunday nights. So, so that's the big issue. People are coming back, and people are going to want to dine. Well, one of the ways last year that restaurants were able to bring people in was the fact that they would offer they would offer outdoor dining. Now, I I happen to love to eat outside. I I, I just do. I mean, I, I find a nice summer night. You know, put me out on a patio. I just absolutely love it. Now, last year, especially before you know the vaccines came around, I, I think I had and a number of friends, including some friends who are my age, maybe a little bit older or whatever. And there was obviously this concern about COVID, and so we would end up doing because we like to go out to restaurants what we would end up doing is is we'd, we'd end up sitting outside but you know you'd, you'd pull over the space heater and you'd be out on a patio and you'd be kind of huddled around the space heater because you wanted to go out and you wanted to patronize the restaurant and you wanted to eat out but at the same time there was maybe a reluctance to eat inside now recently i still have this desire I, I still love to go out to restaurants and i love to eat outside on patios and things like that but recently that that as a requirement. Now, for example, I had a couple friends who, if you were going to go out to dinner with them, I mean, it was going to, it would have to be outside, or at least, I mean, there were places where we would go that would have enclosed patios. So you, you'd be, you were outside, but you could, I don't know, you could pull down an awning or you could put down a plastic sheet. So you were outside, but it, you were at least somewhat protected by the elements and you pull over a space heater and you sit there and you wear your jacket and all those type of things. Well, what's happened recently is, you know, for example, I went out to dinner last night with some, with Fran and I went out with our very good friends, Alan and Patty. And maybe a year ago, we would have, the place we, we went to has a, a, a patio. Now, last night was a little bit chilly. It wasn't what I would call cold or anything. And there's no question that if, if we wanted to dine outside, we could have, you know, pulled over a space heater and worn our jackets and things like that, and we would have been fine. But our reaction, and we were talking about all, we're all vaccinated. Our reaction was, no, it's cold outside. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take the table over there by the fireplace. And I, I noticed that there was a large number of people and where we were last night. I don't know, it was pretty full. And, and people, everybody was eating outside. So they were ready to go back and it was eating inside. Everybody's ready to come back to the restaurants. And there wasn't this, gee, we need to be outside. Now, the reason I bring this up is I've seen a number of stories recently, including one I'm looking at out of the Wall Street Journal, another one that's out of the Chicago Tribune, Another one that was, I think, in the local paper talking about how how restaurants in anticipation of the return to cold weather for a large part of the country, when we're still in this pandemic world, how restaurants are, are scrambling and they're figuring out how we want to have, you know, upgraded outdoor dining and, and we want to redo maybe some of the stuff that we did last year. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
my theory is that that there's no need to do that anymore. I, I think people are, by and large, they're over the fear of, of eating inside. And I think for, I guess, most of us who, look, I look, I understand, I'm vaccinated, I'm going to get the booster when I get the chance, and I understand that there's a chance that I could get that breakthrough case of COVID and things like that. I, I understand that. But I think for most of us, we're willing to take those, those risks. And, and yes, last year, maybe you do, had to go to those extraordinary measures and figure out, okay, we're going to try to set up these tables because we need to bring people in and they're going to be afraid to eat inside. I'm not like that anymore. And I think the vast majority of people aren't like that anymore. Like I say, maybe last night a year ago, people I was with, maybe we would have insisted, okay, we're, we're going to eat outside and we're going to wear our jackets and, you know, it's not going to be the most comfortable thing, but we're not going to be in close quarters. Last night, I don't think anybody thought anything of it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you ready to go back to restaurants? And is that going to continue to be the case this this winter? I mean, are you going to hesitate to eat inside? when you dine out of your house. 855-616-1620. I think that ship has sailed. At least that's my theory. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. One of our texters, Bubba. Bubba says, Mr. Wagner doesn't need a space heater if he's in Key West, Florida. Sloppy Joe's bar is always 78 degrees. That That is true. That is true. Of course, Mr. Wagner probably isn't planning on being in Key West for more than a couple days, going down there about a month or so for a couple days. But, yeah, that, you've always got that option. Lots of bars. 855-616-1620. But that doesn't solve the issue of it's January or February. It's Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, are you hesitant to go out and eat inside. Do restaurants really need to do what they did maybe a year ago, which is try to figure out creative ways to get people to eat outside? I think people are over it. Kristen in Milwaukee. Kristen, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Kristen. I, I do think that people, depending on what industry they're in, like mine, for example, I'm fully vaccinated, but I, I can't take the chance of eating in a restaurant because that's where COVID is more, most likely to be transferred. Okay. How long do you think you're going to feel that way, or don't you know? I think that's a really good question. I yeah. think I'll feel better after I would get the booster shot. Okay. I'll get one more shot, and I, I think I'd feel better about it, personally. Are you, I mean, have you, I'm just curious, have you been back to a restaurant to, to eat in, inside in a restaurant um, over the last few months? Uh, I've almost eaten inside twice, and then once it was just way too loud and it was way too crowded. So okay. the party I was with, we decided to eat outside, and I, that was um, a better right. situation for my for for me. Right. And uh, one other time, kind of a similar. Oh, so I was supposed to eat outside. I had reservations, and then the weather shifted, and so they closed the patio, and and I canceled my reservation. I could I couldn't eat inside. There was too many people. Okay, so so you really haven't eaten inside in a restaurant for a long time. That is correct. Okay, yeah, I, I know. It's, I mean, I wasn't being judgmental. I was just really kind of curious. Okay, let me ask you yeah, this. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I, I think only I, I believe only like twice, and once was there was nobody else in it. Okay, it, you know, it's just. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I can only think of one one time probably in the last uh, year and a half. 
Okay. I, all right. Let me ask you, as long as, long as I've got you, let me ask you another question. If, um, all right, tomorrow Brewers play American Family Field, the roof is in all likelihood going to be closed. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's going to be closed. They're going to have 40 plus thousand people there. If somebody were to give you a pair of tickets, you know, would, would you, would you, would you go to, would you go to the ball game? I would want to go so bad, but I don't. I don't think I could. Okay, I, I, I just couldn't take the chance because of my industry. Then okay. I wouldn't be able to work if I if I contracted COVID. Okay, all right, good. No, no, thanks for calling, Chris. I, I, I don't mean to put you. I'm. I am genuinely and legitimately curious because I mean. Kristen gets her opinion, and that, that's it's obvious that Kristen gets to decide that stuff, and she clearly sounds like she enjoys going to restaurants and would enjoy going to the ball game, and just doesn't feel comfortable doing that, so she's making that individual choice. Now, I guess I'm 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 the other way. I I I mean, I don't want to get COVID. I, I had a mild case of COVID a year ago. I've been vaccinated. But and I, I guess I'm kind of I'm not trying to be irresponsible about it, but I I've been on planes, I've been on a, a river cruise on the the Seine River in in France, I I've been to Europe. I, I mean I'm I'm back to living my life, and I'm not trying to do it in an irresponsible fashion. And if the rule says you have to put a mask on, I'll, I'll put a mask on. But in general. I have no hesitation about going to the ball game tomorrow, just like I had no hesitation, you know, eating inside last night. And my wife does actually cook at home a lot. I don't want to give the false impression, but like two nights ago, we were two nights ago, we were at a, a restaurant and it was kind of crowded. And we were sitting at the bar, which is what we like to do. So that's sort of where we are about this. Um, Jeff, my wife and I have been fully vaccinated. We go to a restaurant or a pub and grill, but we kind of shied away from the very crowded places. Um um, so I, I think that's it. Jeff, I work for a bar grill banquet hall. The ship hasn't sailed here in Racine. We again have the mask mandate. People are sitting outside here as much as last year. Where I work, we will again be dealing with outdoor dining through the winter, hanging tarps and space heaters. As far as I'm concerned, it is absolutely maddening. Jeff, as you do, I enjoy eating in restaurants. I have no problem eating inside at any restaurant I frequent, but I still think the biggest problem is going to be the availability of workers, which is, you know, another, you know, an, another issue as well. And that's that's the other problem. Like I say, most of the restaurant owners I know, they've got business. They've, they've got the business. They just don't necessarily have the staff to serve all the customers they would have. Jeff, I'm okay um, in dining inside unless my unvaccinated small children are along, and then I'm looking for outside dining or for takeout. Well, of course, that texter be interested in the news today that Pfizer has applied for approval for their vaccine that could be given to kids ages 5 to 11. And from what I'm told, it, it's pretty much a fait accompli. It, it's going to, everybody seems to think it's going to be, um, it's going to be granted. So you're going to have a situation where if you choose to have your children vaccinated, you can get the Pfizer vaccine, which is the same vaccine the rest of us got, except it's, I think, a third strength or something like that. Jeff, I have not or, and will not, um, stopped eating inside. Um, yeah, I think that there's, uh, quite a bit of that. Jeff, I will not be forced to eat outside in the winter. I'm 110% comfortable eating inside. I think by and large, that's where, that's where people are. I also think that that's one of the reasons, maybe we'll do it as a topic tomorrow or Monday or sometime. There's still this huge push 
by some elected officials in the city of Milwaukee, for example, to bring back the mask mandate. And Tom Barrett has, has resisted that. I think the Common Council in, as a whole has resisted that because I think they realize that that's not where people are right now. And, you know, I understand and we're seeing they've got the mask mandate back. And I I think there's probably going to be some political fallout from that for the people who have implemented that. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's just get yourself vaccinated and then kind of go back to regular life. I don't believe that there's going to be as much pressure on restaurants to set up outdoor dining this year as there was in the previous years. Now, if you can figure out a way to do outdoor dining creatively and people aren't going to freeze, well, that's one thing. But um, I, I think for most of us, we've decided we're cool with this and we want to be comfortable. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's, there's, there's things in this world that you understand, and then there's Chris Abley, you know, former Milwaukee County executive. This is just one of those stories that makes you really appreciate that there's, no matter how well, you know, how much money you think you have or whatever, there's always going to be that point zero 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 one percent of people who are in this whole different world. The Journal Sentinel has a story. Okay, 2019, former Milwaukee County executive Chris Abley raised, that means demolished, his $2.6 million Shorewood mansion just days after receiving approval from the village to demolish it. Okay, so, okay, so imagine this. You've got a, you've got a mansion that, that, you've got a mansion, number one. You've got a mansion worth $2.6 million on the lake and you tear it down. All right. At the time, Abley wanted to replace the Shorewood mansion with one that respects and honors its original design. All right. So that's the idea. I, I want to tear this one down. I want to uh, build something new. Over two years later, the property shows no signs of construction, and Abley recently received approval from Milwaukee's Historic Preservation Commission to renovate a different home in the city. Okay, this home that they tore down was almost 10,000 square feet, built in 1927. There was controversy at the time, if you will remember, because lots of area residents said he shouldn't be allowed to tear this down. This is historic. Um... Shorewood said, nope, no problem. You know, we're, we'll let him tear it down. So he tears it down, and apparently they, they've never done anything on it. The building permits they got have all expired for this. And the, the, the builders that were supposed to put up the new structure that respected the old structure's um, history, they, they say, we got nothing going on there. So apparently he's also now signed a deal which is going to um, – redo um, another place that he has uh, again in in on the east side of Milwaukee and this is I mean again it's one of the, these interesting things that goes on and this is the problem that you have first of all when, when you're dealing with people who just aren't ordinary as far as the wealth that they've earned or inherited or whatever that you can just like tear down a mansion and then you know, not rebuild. First of all, you could tear down a mansion to begin with and then end up not rebuilding. And if I were in Shorewood, I would be upset with this, not with the idea that, hey, it's your property. You should be able to do what you want with it. But if you get permission to tear it down based on a representation that you're going to be building something back, which is going to be better 
um, than, than what you had there in the first place. And that's the basis that you get the permission to tear this down. And then you simply decide, well, you know, never mind, I'm not going to do it. That, I think, is a legitimate issue, saying, okay, well, were we duped? You, know, you promised us that we were going to give you the permission to tear this down, but you know, we weren't going to have a vacant lot. We were gonna, you were going to rebuild, and now you've apparently changed your mind on rebuilding. It's that bait and switch that I think people in Shorewood, or if I lived in Shorewood, I'd be a little bit upset about that. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Stick around.